0: Well, if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, please join me by turning to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14. This morning we are in our sixth message in our series on the Holy Spirit called Earnestly Desire. And this morning's message is titled, Strive to Build Up. Now, it should come as no surprise to you that I have never been labeled as an artistically inclined individual. On Friday nights, it's safe to assume that you probably won't find Sarah and I sipping red wine while perusing long halls of artwork and conversing over what each painting means to us. But with that being said... There are a few pieces of art that I very much appreciate. Pieces like Michelangelo's breathtaking painting throughout the 16th chapel or the paintings throughout Basilica di Santa Francesca Romana in Rome that I've seen in person. These paintings are incredible. And they are intelligible. Well, conversely, in the 1940s, a style of art known as abstract art made a rise through an artist named Jackson Pollock. And unlike Michelangelo and artists like Leonardo da Vinci, Pollock's paintings are obscure. To the naked eye, they appear to be a mistake, a canvas that has been given over to a child with a paintbrush and an hour. Well comparatively when someone walked through the door of the church at Corinth the Sunday service was like an artist painting an abstract picture of chaos and confusion. This is because the Corinthian Christians were featuring the spiritual gift of tongues as an elite classification and were publicly operating in this gift with no restrictions throughout the Sunday service. And because of this confusion, the health and the happiness of this local church at Corinth was at stake. People in the Sunday gathering were not able to understand the communication throughout the service, and therefore they were un- unable to be built up in their faith. So Paul takes his time to teach them that they should desire prophecy throughout their corporate meeting because unlike tongues, prophecy is able to build up other believers. And I think his heart through this text is this. Our conviction to love the church must compel us to communicate clearly to the church in order that we might bless and build up the church. Well, now, if you would, please join me for what is undoubtedly the best part of this morning's message, and that is the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians 14. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? If I will pray with my spirit, but if I pray with my mind also, I will sing praise with my spirit. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Amen. Well, let's take a moment and go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help. Lord, we love you and we love your word but we are weak and we are failing and we are terribly limited. So God, please open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. Holy Spirit, please come and fill us and quicken us to conviction and to readiness and to action and response to your word. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, our first point this morning is the purpose of prophecy. The purpose of prophecy. Well, friends, did you know that God used the gift of prophecy in my own life in bringing me to faith in Christ? While working at a Christian day camp in south central Arkansas, I attended Monday night prayer and praise meetings on a weekly basis. And during one of these early meetings, I remember the speaker saying something like this, those who die apart from Christ will spend an eternity in hell. He went on to add, I want each of you to think of someone that you love, picture them in your mind, and imagine that if they died today apart from Christ, imagine them spending an eternity in hell when he said this, I began thinking about one of my closest childhood friends. I pictured his face in my mind. But then a few moments later, something unexpected happened. In my mind's eye, I no longer saw my friend's face, but I saw my own. I began to feel the weight of my sin and the reality that I deserve the wrath and the judgment of God as a result of my sin. And at this thought, I began to weep uncontrollably. I had not been someone who frequented Bible studies and prayer and praise meetings and Sunday morning services. And so an emotional response like this was not the norm for me. But but at the thought of my face in my mind, deserving God's judgment and his wrath as a result of my sin, I could not keep my emotions together and wept out of control for several minutes until another counselor surprised me by touching me on the shoulder and said, God wants me to tell you something. And he quoted Jeremiah 33, 3, which says, call to me and I will tell you great and wondrous things that you do not know. At that moment, I responded to God's invitation to call to him. And I placed my faith in Christ for the forgiveness of my sins and I became a Christian. Now that's been part of my experience but I want to know what has been your experience with the gift of prophecy. I think it's easy to deduce from my story that I have a positive experience with the gift of prophecy but I don't make the same assumption for you. Perhaps there are some listening today who have had a wonderful experience with the gift of prophecy, while there are others who have had both positive and very, very, very negative experiences with the gift of prophecy, and then still others who have had no experience or at least identifiable experience with the gift of prophecy. So friend, what is prophecy? Well, a few weeks ago, we provided the following definition. Prophecy is a spontaneous impression or word from the Lord delivered to the mind and spoken through the mouth of a Christian that is in accord with Scripture. Now, another thing that you need to know about me is that early on in my faith, though I only had positive experiences with prophecy, I began to develop serious anxiety in regards to the gift. Of prophecy. As a result, regard, as a result of these, these anxieties, I became depressed because I couldn't discover the answer to this question Am I obligated to obey a prophetic word even if I personally disagree with it? In other words, I struggled with the question Are prophecies a binding message? for the believer. This struggle was so serious for me that I actually asked Sarah, my wife, to stop operating in her gift of prophecy because it had brought me so much anxiety. And to be honest, I regret doing that to this day. Well, throughout this time, I searched for any Biblical evidence indicating the cessation of the gift of prophecy following the completion of the canon of Scripture, but could not find a single one. But years later, I finally realized my problem. My definition of prophecy was wrong and needed to be corrected by Scripture Rather than prophecy being a binding message and authoritative revelation on par with Scripture, Paul plainly tells us in God's word, it's threefold purpose in verse three. He says, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And for this very reason, he tells us in verse one, Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, the spiritual gift of prophecy is designed by God to bless and to build up God's people in the local church. That's why he says this in verse five. Now, I want all of you to speak in tongues, but even more. To prophesy, The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So do we have any other biblical evidence on how we are to receive the gift of prophecy in the New Testament? Well, absolutely we do. First, in Acts 21... The Apostle Paul is traveling back towards Jerusalem, but him and the other brothers and other missionaries stop in Tyre for a week. And it says in verse 4 that through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Well, as history records, Paul disregarded this suggestion and continued on to Jerusalem. So in other words, if the New Testament word for prophecy was intended to be a binding and authoritative revelation from God, then Paul would have been deliberately disobeying God on this occasion, which I hope we would all agree is unlikely. The second example is Acts 21 Verses 8 to 14. When Paul and the others still on their way to Jerusalem, just a breath from the text that we just mentioned, on their way to Jerusalem, they arrive in Caesarea. And it says in verse 10, While we were staying many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and his hands And he said, thus says the Holy Spirit. Okay, he's got everybody's attention at this point. Thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hand of the Gentiles. Well, how did Paul interpret this message? Well, certainly not as a binding and authoritative revelation or message from God commanding him not to go to Jerusalem. Well, how do we know? Because he went to Jerusalem. Like, in just a few seconds after we read that story, he's in Jerusalem. Now, I think that long before this occasion occurred in Acts 21, both of these occasions Paul understood that the call to missions was a call to sacrifice. The call to missions was a summons to die. In other words, he had long resolved the issue that that though danger or trial awaited him, for the sake of the gospel, he would always follow Christ's leading. Even if he knew that in Jerusalem he would be bound. And though they pleaded with him to stay, it says in verse 14, and since he would not be persuaded, (laughs) what a situation. We ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. All right, here's a third example. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 19. Paul writes these words. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Comma, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. I think this text implies that in this local church in Thessalonica, there are had, had developed or cultivated, there had become a, a temptation to despise prophecies. Why else would he be commanding them not to despise prophecies if there hadn't been a temptation to already despise prophecies? And therefore, I think it's safe to assume that they had become despising prophecies because there had been an abuse in the gift of prophecy throughout this local church. Paul's saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, Thessalonica. Just because you have some who are abusing the gift, they're immature. Help them grow up into spiritual maturity. But don't despise this gift. It's a blessing from God given to you, the local church, to bless and build up this church. So instead of despising it, what are we to do with prophecy?" Paul says plainly what we are to do with it. He says, test it. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Well, test it with what? Test it with our emotions. Test it with if it makes us feel good. Test it it if it makes us happy. No, he says, test it. It's tested with the scriptures. It's tested with the infallible. And authoritative, and the conclusive, and the final word of God, which is the Bible. So test everything with the Bible. And then he says this if it passes the test, so you hear a prophetic word, then lay it against the scriptures. Does it agree with scripture? If it does agree with scripture, hold fast to it, he says. Hold fast to what is good. But if it doesn't agree with Scripture, if it's outright heresy, abstain, he says, from every form of evil. In other words, throw it out. Be like the Bereans, who when they hear things about God, hold up their Bibles and determine if it's true. If it is true, Paul says, hold fast to it. Why? Why to go, why go to all this trouble? Why to go to all this trouble? Why not just, you know, this is kind of scary. Why do I want to try to test things? Why don't we just say, nah, these things are just done? Or if they're maybe they're not done, but I don't want any part of them in my life because they kind of scare me. And what if I'm testing them in scriptures and I misunderstand them, apply them in my heart, and, and then I'm led astray? And Well, here's one reason why. Because the Bible commands us to desire them. That's, is that reason enough? I hope it is. That's one reason why we don't neglect it is because the Bible says to desire it. Oh, and listen, not just desire it. Paul says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Which means, friend with a seatbelt, unbuckle it. Does that mean you go without caution? No. But it means that you test everything. But if everything is viewed with a lens of skepticism, with a seatbelt, Christians in view of prophecy, one that violates First Corinthians 13 in the, in the name of love, which says love believes all things, that's the first violation. And then, and then the second is, is it's not a posture of earnestly desiring. It's a posture of fearfully avoiding. Listen, just because you unbuckle the seatbelt doesn't mean that we're gonna go wild. It means that we're biblical. We don't wanna go wild. We just want to be biblical. So the the argument that I wanna make this morning for my friends is to just unbuckle the seatbelt and test everything we have in our possession God's word. When someone shares a prophecy with us, a word of knowledge, we say, okay, let me check the scriptures. And if it's past, praise God. Praise God. I hold fast to it. But if it's not, like the Book of Mormon or like the Jehovah Witnesses false doctrine or like even some other, you know, prophecies about who's going to become president. and These sorts of things, test them. Is, is God telling us about America in this book? No, his kingdom is of another world. I think you've misunderstood. Thank you for your prophecy. I really appreciate it. But I think you've misunderstood. I'm going to abstain from that one. Right? The abuse of prophecy Paul commands us, does not give us the, the, the right to throw the whole gift out. I hope I've made that case plainly from God's word. I was even watching a short debate this week between two men that I respect on totally different sides of these camps. And and, and it was just so interesting how the cessationist was arguing, that is the one who believes that the gifts, the miraculous gifts of the Spirit have ceased since the canon of Scripture and the, the death of the apostles. His argument was rooted outside of the text and he was looking back to sort of Make a justification in the text, whereas the continuationist was saying, I'm just reading the Bible. And the Bible says, do not despise prophecies. And it says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. What do I do with that? And the guy was so humble and he just concluded, that's a problem for me. Yeah, a little one. Now, we, we want to be patient with our friends who really struggle in this area. We really want to be patient. It's, this is not a, a matter of salvation. This is not a matter of first importance. 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel is the matter of first importance. Our gift is not, our church is not going to be built on the gift of prophecy. It's going to be built on the gospel, on Christ and him crucified. But, but I, I want it to lead us where we can perhaps find our hearts trusting God and his good plans for his church revealed in his word. Another reason why why we should not despise prophecy is this. It has the potential to be a spiritual gift that is used by God to bless and build a happy and healthy local church. It communicates in our own native tongue a spontaneous message which brings to bear upon the listener that God is alive and active in the world and sees our present circumstances and speaks into them with precision. But on the other hand, the public use of tongues without an interpreter communicates something different, which leads to our second point. The taming of tongues. Now friends, what makes a spiritual person? Well, if you would have asked that question to the Christians at Corinth, they probably would have answered you in tongues. They loved the gift of tongues. And that's why Paul is writing chapters 12 to 14. He is correcting the notion that the spiritual gift of tongues equals spiritual maturity. He's, he's correcting this notion. He's, he's challenging them. Now, how is he correcting them? Well, he's correcting them by showing them that though they are a spiritually gifted church, they are a spiritually immature People. So if it's not tongues that makes us a spiritually mature people, what then is the mark of a spiritually mature people? Well, spiritual spiritual maturity should not be measured in terms of giftedness, but instead by the amount of love that grounds and guides giftedness to build. the faith of others. That's the mark of spiritual maturity. In other words the amount of love that you have towards your brothers and sisters in the church. So Paul corrects their use of tongues throughout this chapter. He helps them understand that when they are speaking in tongues, verse 2 they are speaking not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So in other words, without an interpretation, the gift of tongues is a private prayer and praise language with God. He says in verse four, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, Paul is not mocking Their use of this gift, but instead he's helping them understand that when they are all talking in tongues throughout the Sunday morning gathering, they are individually building themselves up, and that is not the purpose of the corporate gathering of believers. The primary purpose of Sunday meetings is for believers to build up the faith of other believers. That's the primary purpose that Paul's getting across over and over and over again through 12 to 14. So he says in verse 5, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. In six, verses 6 to 12, he gives them an illustration of a musical instrument. And his point is that even these instruments have distinct sounds so that we might hear and identify their purpose in playing the instrument. So it is with the language of tongues. But the problem is that apart from the spiritual gift of interpretation, we don't have the ability to understand the language of tongues. And therefore, if we speak in tongues around one another, we create Barriers between believers. He uses the word foreigners around one another because you're speaking in a tongue that other people don't understand. So again, he makes his primary point plain in verse 12. Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So, are the instructions for Christians to avoid speaking in tongues in the Sunday gathering? Well, no. But in verse 13, Paul goes on to say, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Why? Well, because his point is, though your tongues may be a thanksgiving to God, your brothers and sisters in your area right there who hear you, they don't know what you're saying. They don't know that you're giving thanks to God and therefore they can't say amen to it. In other words, you see what he's saying? Again, he's making this point. They're not built up. I think his point is that they, these Christians are being selfish in the use of their spiritual gifts. They all, they all, or many of them are using the gift of tongues on Sunday and it's sort of like, like silos throughout the church on Sunday. They're not, they don't even care that there's other people in the Sunday gathering. They're just sort of it's just me and, and the Lord. I'm just going to speak in tongues and, and he's speaking in tongues and she's speaking in tongues. and We don't know what each other is saying, but, but we're being blessed and we're being edified. And, and Paul's saying, no, no you've, you've, let's rewind. This isn't edification one by one. This is edification that you are, you're responsible to edify him and you're responsible to edify her. We're all responsible for each other's edification, for our encouragement in Christ. So remove the silos and stop speaking publicly in tongues. No one knows what you're saying. No one is blessed by with, with what you're saying. So does, does Paul despise the gift of tongues because it doesn't have a public function? No, not at all. In fact, verse 18, he flexes for a moment. And he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And then finally, in this last section, he quotes a passage of Scripture in this 20 to 25. He quotes a passage of Scripture and points to it to say that public speaking in tongues Without an interpretation is actually a sign of judgment on a church service. Did you see that? The public speaking in tongues without the gift of interpretation is actually a sign of judgment on a church service. Since verse 23 Outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your mind? In other words, Unbelievers will leave the Sunday service without hearing the message of the cross. Without hearing the message of the gospel. Without hearing that God sent Jesus to live the life that we could not live and to die the death that we deserve to die. And in His death, bearing in His body the weight and the wrath of our sin that we deserve to bear, And in return, crediting to our account Jesus's righteousness and his perfection and his sonship. People coming into your church service and you're speaking in tongues. Everybody's speaking in tongues. There's no intelligible language. They don't hear that. That's not good, Paul says. That's a sign of judgment. Because they come into the presence of believers who should be proclaiming the gospel, but instead they're just talking in tongues and no one knows what they're saying. And unbelievers leave without hearing about Christ. Judgment. That's judgment. That's not good. Now friend, can you imagine how convicting this must have been for this church? (laughs) Paul's saying this I think because there had been countless times when unbelievers strolled into their services and because they were speaking in tongues, they left without trusting Christ. And because of the chaos and confusion, they were not coming back next week. You've been to first church at Corinth? Yeah. Yeah. And I am not going back. It was wild. That's judgment. But, but Paul says prophecy has a different effect on unbelievers. He says it's not confusing, but convicting. He says in verse 24, but if all prophesy... And an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called out by all, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Friends, isn't that our heart's desire at living hope? That when people come in to Living Hope, that they sense and they can feel and that they can know through intelligible language, God is here. That's, That's what I want for Living Hope so badly. Now, one illustration of this comes to my mind from the ministry of Charles Spurgeon. Yes, Charles Spurgeon in a sermon on prophecy. Spurgeon tells of an incident in the middle of his sermon where he paused and pointed at a man whom he accused of taking an unjust profit from his place of work. The man later described the event like this. Mr. Spurgeon looked at me as if he knew me. Ooh, not good. "And And in his sermon, he pointed at me And he told the congregation that I was a shoemaker and that I kept my shop open on Sundays. And I did, sir. Now, I should not have minded that, but he also said that I took nine pence that Sunday before and that there was four pence profit out of it. I did take nine pence that day. Four pence was just the profit. But how he should know that, I could not tell. Then it struck me that it was God who had spoken to my soul through him. So I shut up my shop for the next Sunday. At first, I was afraid to go again to hear him, lest he should tell the people more about me. (laughs) But afterwards, I went and listened to this. And the Lord met with me and saved my soul. Spurgeon says with his own remembrance, he says there are at least a dozen other examples of him doing that while preaching at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Friends, the point is that the public use of tongues does not produce all inspired reverence and fear of God. like prophecy can. Instead, without an interpreter, tongues produces skepticism, while prophecy produces upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. That leads to our third point this morning, the role that both play today. So what does the gift of prophecy and tongues look like in the life of the local church? Well, next week, we are going to answer that question in more detail as we study the rest of chapter 14, verses 26 to 40. But but this week, here are a few points for considerations, a few points of application. The first is this. Prophecy is a gift that God commands all of his people to desire. Does that mean that all will have the gift of prophecy? No. But should all ask God for a prophetic word prior to the Sunday meeting so that we can build up other Christians? Yes. Secondly, just like every other spiritual gift in the New Testament, prophecy requires faith. God may give you an impression or a picture or a vision or a dream, But it requires you trusting Him to step out in faith to share that message, whether publicly or privately. Third, prophecy that is predictive in nature should be treated with a greater deal of testing. Anything that is predictive, directive, or personal should be treated. With a greater deal of testing. Four. Like other spiritual gifts. Prophecy has to be cultivated. And matured. To serve its highest potential. That means the person must walk in humility. And expect to receive both encouragement and correction. Regarding their use. Of the gift of prophecy. Five. Tongues are a gift that God has given to particular believers for their own spiritual encouragement and should be received with thankfulness. Six. Tongues, without an interpretation, serve only to build up the believer speaking and should not be spoken where anyone can hear throughout the Sunday meeting so that it does not become a stumbling block or a distraction. And then Seven. We should avoid developing an excessive desire to hear God's voice through the gifts, but should learn to prize and treasure the Bible above all. So friends, as we prepare to close this morning, let's do so with Paul's admonition as our guide. Verse 12, he says this, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. What builds up the church? Clear and understandable communication that is gospel-centered, biblically-tested, and love infused. Our conviction to love the church must compel us to communicate clearly to the church in order that we might bless and build up the church. Amen. Let's go to the Lord as we close. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we love your word, but it is no doubt that there are some here who hear this message, and this this word is challenging to them. It's frightening to them. It's maybe even concerning to them. God, I ask that you would please give us the grace walk in love, to walk in patience, to walk in gentleness with one another as we grow up into Christ. We all need your help, Lord. But thank you for the gifts of tongues and prophecy and how you give them to the church for to be a blessing and to build up the body. God, would you please stir up even afresh? The gift of prophecy in this church that we might, that we might excel in building up one another. We love you. And we praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.